What's going on, everyone? This will be episode 70 of the Strength and Success Show. Uh, Riley will hop on in a second and she'll send an invite and I'll have her join. This one's going to be titled Compete Against Your Habits, which is very, very important. We always talk about creating habits, breaking habits, building habits, but we're going to talk about competing against your habits. And uh, as we record live, you guys are welcome to ask questions on the live broadcast. We have people who've sent us questions through our store Q&A. Riley, of course, does her store Q&A every Tuesday. I do mine every Wednesday. So people have sent us questions through there that we will answer in a little bit more detail sometimes on here. And uh, sometimes people ask questions on here as well. We're going to go live through. We'll do the usual pleasantries and the hellos. She's far better at the hello than I am. Cheers. How are we doing? Hi. Good. How are you? <laughs> I didn't get a hello. I got a hi. Good. How are you? That's so unusual. That's because I was mid-drink. You must be competing against your habits. <laughs> I am just competing soon in general, and my brain is non-existent. This is this is meat brain, which is I always joke with Jen when meat brain comes up. Jen Ratzinger is uh, somebody I've coached for over five years now, and uh, you get to a point where you're like two weeks out, three weeks out, and you start second guessing absolutely everything you've done, everything you do, what happens, the numbers you want, this, that, the other thing. And you start running numbers. It's like just stick to the plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently two weeks out or whatever ish, about two weeks out, and uh, I've been running numbers in my head nonstop for like this entire week, uh, just like different combinations and stuff. And I'm also very tired, and I did not realize how tired I was until I went to take a shower yesterday after training, and I got in the shower and I realized I still had my sports bra on. Um, that was the only thing. That I multitasking, you know, washing your clothes while you wash yourself makes a ton of sense to me. That's what Melissa said too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, I yeah, that was the only thing that I decided to leave on. And you know, I just at that moment I just kind of stood there for a minute and I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's where I'm at currently, and I just feel like. It's like that, um, it's like the screen on your computer when everything's buffering, you know, like that's, that's my brain right now. I'm just very tired, but yeah, I've been running numbers all week. So, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely that time about two, two weeks out and some couple days or whatever. I, uh, I compete a week after you and I haven't hit that point of meat brain yet, yet. Like obviously I don't wear a sports bra, but, uh, I'm just aloof all the time anyways. <laughs> It doesn't really matter. If it's not in front of my face and written down, I will forget about it entirely. So it just that's just my norm. But um, it is great that we can acknowledge that and stick into the plan because, you know, our topic today is compete against your habits. Now, this is something that almost everybody goes through when they get this close to me. They hit a point of fatigue and they start second-guessing yourself, which is why we talk about the importance of plan. And this is something we've also talked about every seminar that we've done. And everyone will say something to the line of, I want to be competitive and I want to be this person and I want to do that. And the counter question we always had to is, what are you doing to beat yourself? And you get this dumbfounded look of, what do you mean? And I always remind people, and I'm blunt, the first half of the seminar, I'm blunt. Like if you can't beat yourself, you have no business worrying about who else is in the competition or what's going on or what they can potentially do because you haven't even focused on what you need to do to beat yourself. And I don't mean your total. Your total is going to come from the work that you do. It, I'm talking about beating your work. So everyone says, I don't have time to meal prep. Yes, you do. We all have the same 24 hours. Uh, I don't have time to do my warm-ups. Yes, you do. You chose not to. 
I don't have time to do my core work. Yes, you do. Again, you chose not to. I don't have time for cardio. I don't have time to learn. I don't have time to read. And if you looked at your day and wrote down everything you did, if you took a pen and paper with you and wrote down everything you did all day, how many gaps were you scrolling social media, watching Netflix, you know, looking at memes? I look at memes all the time. They're freaking hilarious. But I prioritize what I have to do first and know what my schedule needs to be and know what my routines are. And I have uh, my daily non-negotiables. We've talked about this before. There are certain things that are non-negotiable for me that I will do every single day to be the best that I can be. And they're non-negotiable. They are done. And I actually start my morning with most of them to make sure they're done. And if you can't beat your habits, if you can't beat your work ethic, if you can't beat your own standards, don't talk to me about being competitive. You're living in a freaking dream world. And that's, I'm always blunt with that because if you're not looking to improve yourself, don't give me any shit about who's in the competition or whether or not you can beat them on your best day. And I see this all the time. I had two, two athletes competing in the same meet and their numbers were really, really, really close. They ended up finishing one and two. And, and one was constantly looking at the numbers, running the numbers and the scenarios. Um, but she really was in, they're both actually great about their habits and their work and doing things. And I reminded them, like, you don't know what happens on meet day. Meet day is a little bit of a question mark. It's, it's what you've earned. It's what you've done, the work you've had, how you recover, do things. You have to focus on the micro a little bit heading into the meet, not the macro. The macro is far off from the meet. Coming into the meet, it's precise. Every step is precise. Eating the right food, getting the right amount of sleep, um, relaxing as much as you can, calming down. We're trying to dissipate fatigue, not add stress. And if you start stressing about who's in the meet, who I can beat or how you can be competitive, you're literally adding stress. You're not, you're not beating your habits. You're literally beating yourself at that point mentally down. Yeah. I, uh, we were just talking about how, the, how busy I used to be. Right. So um, there were two times in my life where I was working two jobs and training and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the beginning of college, when I was still bodybuilding training, I worked at GNC and I worked at Starbucks. And then I was also uh, training, you know, not necessarily competing or anything, but um, training, meal prepping and all that stuff. And there would be some days where I would the way that I would structure my day would be I would wake up at 3 a.m. So that way I could do a 4 to 12 shift um, at Starbucks. So the morning shift. And then that gives me um, my eight hours or whatever. And then from after 12, I would have class from 1 to 4. So I would have to bring my school clothes to Starbucks. So that way after work I could change, um, grab some food, whatever, and then go to school. And then I was at school from one to four, and then I'd work at GNC from five to nine, because GNC was like my part-time job and Starbucks was my full-time job. So then I would go from five to nine and work at GNC, and then I would bring my clothes, um, and I would go straight to the gym because the gym was down the road. So there would be times where I would be up at 3 a.m., and then I would be lifting until like midnight or whatever, because I got off work at nine, and then I had to drive to the gym, and then by the time I get home, whatever. Um, and not saying that I'm not like glorifying being overly busy or anything, um, but, you know, when that when I had that schedule or even when I first started coaching, I was still working as a full time manager at vitamin shop and I was working about 50 hours a week. And then I would go uh, I lived in Chicago, so I had to have like an hour commute from work to home and from work to the gym and from the gym to home because Chicago traffic sucks. And when I wasn't working and I wasn't training, I was doing my client. I was working on clients because I had about 20 clients at that time. I was still trying to be full time. So any extra spare time that I had went to writing programs or watching videos or anything like that. And I was super, super busy back then. But I also like reflecting back on it. And like I said, I'm not glorifying being overly busy and like being a busy body or whatever. But 
I had to simplify my habits and I had to simplify my routines and really, really stay on top of my habits back then because I had quite literally zero time to spare. So when I was in college, I would have to meal prep one day a week for the whole entire week. Um, and that was bodybuilding. So I was a little bit more strict about diet than I am currently. Um, when I was still working full-time at vitamin shop and coaching and training and competing and powerlifting, um, I would have to do the same thing. Like I would have to meal prep things. I would have to make sure that I was going to sleep at the right time. I wasn't wasting the extra time. Like Trevor mentioned, I wasn't scrolling endlessly on, on uh, Instagram. I wasn't watching unnecessary amounts of TV shows, you know, like I would have fun and we would go out. That's when I lived with Jenna. So we would go do things. Um, but I had quite, I had zero time to lean basically. So I always was on top of the things I was supposed to be doing. Um, and now that I work for myself and I set my schedule, like I am busy often, you know, like I have a full roster of clients I'm training currently. Um, I, you know, we have the supplement company, social media, things like that are important. I also have a puppy who is like a child. So I am busy now, but I have a lot more time to spare. So I find myself, um, doing the scrolling more often, or I will like take a break and watch a movie or something, or, you know, like I won't meal prep because it's just like, I just like, Oh, I have time. I work from home every single day. So sometimes my habits now fall to the wayside a little bit, just because I have that flexibility of like working from home, um, doing what I want pretty much versus back then I had no choice because there was no extra time. So my downfall now is that, I work for myself, so I make my own schedule. So sometimes if I'm not feeling super motivated or super driven or um, not 100% on top of things or there's stress going on, that will affect my habits. And that's what I need to realize, especially going into this prep, I'm sitting pretty well with weight. Like I don't have to worry too much about the weight cut that I'm doing, but I have to remind myself like, okay, you have to eat real food. You have to prep these things. You have to eat your chicken and rice or steak and rice or whatever. You need to drink your water. You need to take your pills. You need to make sure that you go to sleep at on time and wake up on time. Um, I have to systemize my day because Sophie goes out every like three to four hours. So every, you know, I have to like be like, okay, from one to four, I can, or from one to three thirty, I can do work. But at three thirty, I know I have to take Sophie out. You know, it's so like these kind of things force me to stay on top of my habits. But the more time that I have extra to spare the less likely I am to stay on top of things. Um, and that's just me. I like to be busy. I am a busy body and it's, it's uh, soothing to me to be organized on top of things and whatnot. That alleviates my stress. Being someone who has no plan, no structure, nothing, that makes me stressed. Um, and that, you know, leads to like the weight gain and like uh, stress eating and all that kind of stuff. So for me, when I'm busy, I'm on schedule. I'm doing a lot better for myself than if I was to have a whole bunch of extra time, I would be more stressed. Like I don't, I don't know how some people do it where they have like five days of no work and they just do whatever they want. Or I, I don't, I don't understand. It's my brain is not hardwired that way. I'm definitely a little bit more type A and a little bit more of a busy body that way, but you definitely start to fall to the systems that you have. Um, so trying to prioritize the things that you need to do and structuring your day around the things that you need to do can still allow you time to do the things that you want to do. But if your things that you want to do are overtaking the things that you need to do, you're going to start lacking the consistency. And I've had a couple clients recently who have been very frustrated with uh, both of them frustrated with their squats and their deadlifts uh, right now. And, you know, I had to very gently remind them like, Hey, one of them like hasn't been able to squat in a couple months because of an injury. So we've had to do some workarounds and she's been front squatting or zerker squatting or whatnot, but she's finally just back to back squatting. 
and she's getting frustrated because it's not the same numbers that she used to. And I'm like, we had to do some workarounds and like powerlifting is a skill practice. Like the more that you practice, the better that you get. But if you're not practicing that skill, it's gonna kind of fall to the wayside a little bit and especially with an injury. And there's another uh, client that I have who has a very busy schedule right now and she's struggling with the consistency also. And she's also very frustrated with some of her lifts and I have to remind her, consistency is the key here. And I know that you're frustrated and it's okay to be frustrated, but you have to be honest with yourself about how consistent you're being about your habits and like how those are actually affecting the results that you're getting. And if you're not getting results, it's likely because you're inconsistent in some area, whether that's sleep, hydration, nutrition, uh, lifting with intention, whatever it is, you are lacking the consistency to see that progress. You mentioned, which is probably why you're so adverse to leftovers now, but prepping the entire week's food in one day. So you had one day a week to prep your entire week's food because that was what you had to do. And people don't look at this as a have to scenario sometimes. Like, if this is what I want to do, this is what I have to do, or it's what you get to do, honestly. But they, they make a choice. And either they're not prepared, so they can't do it because they didn't prepare, or they simply chose not to, and then they make an excuse. I don't have time. Like, but everybody has the same time. And there are other people who do it. Like Riley mapped out her schedule from a few years back where she still got ab absolutely everything in, and it took planning and preparation. So, you know, when we talk about being better and beating yourself, sit down and plan. If you have nothing to do, that would be the best thing you can do is sit down and plan. And then you literally just have to follow the plan. Painting by numbers is the easiest thing you can do. So paint your numbers out for the entire week ahead of time and just follow the plan. And that's going to increase your productivity, increase your consistency and increase your results. Yeah. The, uh, the Tupperware thing, if I didn't prep on that day, I wouldn't eat. And like, it would be a, my diet that day would consist of like whatever pastries from Starbucks and then whatever protein bars from GNC. And like, that's obviously not conducive to any sort of strength goal or aesthetic goal. Cause like I said, back then I was bodybuilding. So I was like, if I'm just binging on protein bars all day and like bakery items, I'm not going to be shredded. I'm not going to have abs anymore. So I'm going to have to uh, meal prep, you know? So that's what I would do every Sunday. Um, <laughs> that I would have to grab a snack. And like, I was talking about the MHP puddings that GNC used to sell and how they're like 40 grams of protein. So that was always my like uh, during work snack or whatever. But yeah, it was the, I was like, okay, well, if I don't do this now, then I'm going to struggle the whole entire week. And that's kind of like what you have to ask yourself when you're like setting up your schedule or, you know, if you're like, I'm not going to hydrate today or I'm not going to eat today. You're going to have to ask yourself how you're going to pay for that tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. Every choice you make today is a choice we pay for or win from tomorrow. Great point. All right, let's get to some questions. What do we got to our first question? Okay, uh, most memorable training moments. Most memorable training moments? Uh, oh, that's pretty easy. Um, went to Chicago to be at the ritual meet and trained at Rockwell Barbell that first time. And I was getting ready for a meet. Um, I don't even remember what the meet was, but I remember the training moment. And John and Angelica were there. Um, Matt Blankenberger was there. Jake was there. A lot of people that I know were friends were there for the ritual meet. And I was warming up and deadlifting, and I just felt so on point. When I travel, I don't bring a belt. Like, that's my limiter. When I'm traveling, I don't bring a belt. It's whatever I can do, I can do. And I was lifting with John, and I was feeling really good. And I went up to a 765 for a triple belt list, which is still my PR triple to this day. Um, and it was just, like, effortless. It used to be the intro for our old podcast. <laughs> I don't know how, where, or why, because we ate like a burger and fries like two hours before that workout at a cool little restaurant. But for some reason, I was just so in a zone lifting with everybody there and the vibe that was there. 765 beltless triple was just absolutely effortless. And that was just a really cool training moment of 
the vibe in the gym, being on the road, traveling, everybody training together, having fun, changing plates, helping each other. You were all squatting on, on the right, if I remember correctly, or my left, because I'm trying to remember the gym at the time, the old gym. You were all squatting to the left. Uh, Jenna was there. I think Alexis was there, too. Was Alexis not there? She competed. I was deadlifting that day. She was I there hanging out. She wasn't lifting. A lot of people who were competing were there hanging out. Like, there was just a whole bunch of people there who stopped in to hang out and do things. So it was just a really cool gym vibe. And I love that. And same thing happened when Stacy was down before the XPC. We used to meet almost every Saturday at Barbell Benders. The gym doesn't exist anymore, but we met every Saturday at Barbell Benders in Miami. And Louis, uh, Leo would drive up from, like, the Keys. Jordan would come across from, from Northport. Uh, Joelle would come down from Daytona. Like, Charlie would come across from um, Cape Coral. Everybody would meet together. We'd have, like, eight to ten people just training together, helping each other out, squatting and doing things. When the vibe gets that high in the room, everybody gets stronger. It's that West Side mentality of not trying to beat each other like West Side was, but it was that vibe of everybody's here for each other. And that elevation of energy just made everybody stronger. It was fantastic. It was, it was just, those were cool moments. Yeah, honestly, most of my memorable training moments are from Rockwell. Um, and that is, uh, like, I just, I love the, like, dungeony dark feel that Rockwell has. And, like, I kind of like that there's a lot of things that are broken and, you know, need repair or whatnot. But there were, there were so many training sessions that I had at Rockwell that were, like, at 9 p.m. Um, in the middle of winter or in like the dead heat of summer that it was just like me, Jenna and James and like later on Sydney started training there too. But like the three of us or the four of us just like trained from like 8 p.m. until like 11. And we always had fun training. Like we got everything that we were done that we were supposed to, but then it would just be like times of fucking around and having fun and everyone was spotting everyone and everyone was talking shit to everyone. And uh, it's just, it nothing like, there's not like one significant moment there but um, I, do miss, I do miss training at Rockwell. Um, that was just, I feel like I had like a lot of my, you know, I've had a lot of really good training sessions here, like at Treasure Coast or in the garage. And I had a lot of great training sessions at Surge. Um, but I feel like I had my best training sessions at Rockwell. And I don't really know necessarily what it was, but I just really liked being in that gym. Um, and the three of us, me, Jenna and James, just were absolute idiots. And we think we're hilarious. So we would have so much fun um, training and, we would always tell James that he was weak and had small calves and he would always try to like outpose me and like my lats were bigger than his and I still are. So it's fine. He doesn't look cast, but if he was listening, he would tell me to fuck right now. But, um, he, uh, yeah, that was, those are probably my favorite moments is just being there and just like having fun doing what we're supposed to be doing, but then also just like mixing in that like friendship. And then we would go out to eat afterwards. And like, it was generally like a shitty, like, pancake house or whatever was open like sometimes it'd be i sometimes it'd be like mod pizza um we tried to eat healthy sometimes but usually ended up being like greasy dining after barbell benders we tried our hardest to get kicked out of applebee's uh jordan wong did really hard to try and get us kicked out of applebee's by trying to encourage the male waiter to fist his girlfriend couldn't get kicked out just let you know how high class applebee's really is <laughs> but we had a lot of fun uh, and yes, that's it. You, you nailed it. It's when the vibe is there and you train together and then go eat together. It, it's a second family, really. And you look forward to your training sessions so much instead of dreading them sometimes. Like, you know, when, when you're tired and you go in, and like you mentioned, the garage, you, you're tired and you go in the garage and you're by yourself. You got to pick yourself up and, and push yourself. When you're tired and you show up and there's five, no, I didn't, you freaking liar. <laughs> when there's five or six people who are meeting at the gym and you're all going to laugh and have a good time and push each other, it doesn't matter how tired you are. You don't feel it until you're done. 
you don't feel till you're in the restaurant eating afterwards and doing things. That's when you when it kicks in. You're like, oh, I forgot I was even tired. Now I'm tired. But when the vibe is there, it picks everybody up. So if you were in a gym and you're in a group, make sure you have a, a vibe. Pick that vibe up for everybody because it's important. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone knows Jordan, they absolutely know that Jordan would 100% do that and did do that. So, mm -hmm. Jordan. <laughs> that Apple's Beast, that Apple Beast misses us. Not just because we were horrendously bad patrons as far as personality and behavior, but because we'd walk in there sometimes with like groups of 12 or 15 <laughs> and then feel so guilty we would overtip. <laughs> All right, what's our next question? How would you improve hook grip strength? Oh, God, did Matt Barry ask this? <laughs> so I've had private conversations with Matt. I sent him a couple videos about hook grip endurance, like doing your pull-ups, you want to rows with hook grip. Some of it's just hook grip endurance, really getting used to it. Uh, I sent him the video about doing hook grip towel work, which he's been doing. Uh, he decided that the towel is the absolute meanest thing he does in any aspect of training. And this is someone who competes in multiply and single ply and raw. Uh, to me, multiply is like the absolute most brutal because the pressure on your body and the pain of that level of load in your body is just awful. But um, you really you just have to actually strengthen the position just like anything else, you know, improve your positional capacity, improve your grip capacity. <laughs> Matt count one. I think she charges him like $25 every time I say his name. So if I'm just going to rattle off Matt like five times, he's going to over like $150. Um, but I like doing like the hook grip towel pull-ups. You can use the hook grip. You can wrap the towel around dumbbells to do like weird pinch grip rows. Like I used to in strongman, we would do a lot of pinch grip rows. We'd wrap them around weights or kettlebells and just row pinch gripping the towel because a lot of strongman events are very grip intensive. The caveat to grip work is you can overtrain your grip very, very easily. Um, one of the biggest ways of showing how fatigued you are is the, the, that dynamometer, dynamometer, I don't know why I can never say this, the dynamometer where they test your hand grip strength and it shows how fatigued you are. So I always encourage grip training at like the end of your deadlift session or the end of your back session and just once at most twice a week with not a lot of volume, but just some grip work where you're working on those finger strengths for a little bit to build it up. It could be as simple as long holds. Like if you do a deadlift and do like the, what's known as the freedom hold, where you, you hook grip and you do a deadlift and you're holding it for 10 seconds, 15 seconds at the top, you're gonna build that hook capacity. Um, you literally just have to get used to it and condition yourself to it. That's the key to it. And then also understand from a mechanical standpoint, like I have the hook grip video with the, the kabuki bar because it's a different knurling of having to internal rotate versus external rotate the hand. What, what position should your hand be in? And what speed does the bar whip have? Like most people won't drop a hook grip with a power bar because there's no flex, there's no whip. But a deadlift bar has a significant amount of whip and sometimes that whip pulls the bar out of, that's math problem, the whip pulls the bar out of your fingers. You might have to decelerate your pull and not pull as fast as powerful as you can and just ride that wave a little bit slower so the whip doesn't yank it out of your hands at the top because nine times out of 10 that I've seen him drop a deadlift, it's at the top when the whip is pulling the bar down. I gotta be honest here. I'm not sure that it's like necessarily, I feel like most people issue when they're like, I need hook grip strength. I don't know that I don't think it's necessarily a strength thing. I think it's just like a comfortability and practice kind of thing. Cause everyone complains about how hook grip hurts. And for the most part, I feel like eight or nine out of 10 people when they drop a deadlift, it's not because their hook grip failed them or because they tore their thumb. I think it's because it's uncomfortable and they let it go kind of. Um, it doesn't feel good and like it's not i think there was something on your story recently where someone was like should i try hook grip and he and you said like you have to do it it's a commitment um you can't just like occasionally try to hook grip here and there and the only like the caveat with hook grip is that the only way to get better at hook grip is to hook grip more but also the more that you hook grip the more it's going to fucking hurt so you just have to deal with it like if you want 
if you want to hook grip, you just have to deal with the pain that's there and just stop kind of being a baby about it. Like it's not going to feel good. And you know, going into hook grip that it's not going to feel good. So just hook grip it and just deal <laughs> with it. And it's fine. If your thumbs hurt, then your thumbs hurt. But like, I have plenty of clients who are like, Oh, I want to do a hook grip. And then they do like their first set and they're like, it hurts. So I'm going to put on straps. Your hook grip is never going to get better in your hook. And they're, or they're like, Oh, I switched to mixed grip. Your hook grip is never going to get better if you use strap or straps or if you switch to mixed grip, you have to, honestly, if it hurts, that's when you should probably keep doing it. Like if your thumbs are fucking on fire, just keep doing it. I don't know, throw on a, throw on like a layer of tape. Like that's generally like if I'm having a rough, hook grip day or my thumbs feel like they're going to tear, I will throw on one layer of tape and that's about it. But I will continue to hook grip everything and you will stop feeling it after a while because you get heavy enough that you don't feel it anymore. But like you, you will never get good at hook grip if you just do one set and then you're like, it hurts. So I'm switching. Okay. Then <laughs> camera can't see this because my hands are below, but I'm sitting there going like, like this right now. <laughs> it's like, I I have, I like, I have no sympathy for this. I get so many clients that are like, oh, I hook grip today and it hurt. And I'm like, cool. It's a commitment. If you want to hook, you've got to hook all the way through and just suck it up and get used to it. That's, that's what I respond to my story. I'm like, you don't try hook grip, you commit to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, next question is, how do you personally deal with nervousness on meet day? A point where I don't have an exceptional amount of nervousness about what I can lift or how I'm going to perform. Uh, sometimes I do feel like my body's going to explode, but just because it has multiple times. I don't really get anxiety or nerves for the competition when I'm competing myself anymore. But granted, that took over 50 strength competitions to get to that point. My first few competitions, I couldn't eat, I couldn't do anything. I was just hyped up on stimulants, trying to get through. And you build a tolerance to competing in the same way that you build a confidence of stepping in the gym. And now I have the benefit of having worked in general fitness for a long time before I specialized in powerlifting and coaching athletes and just doing remote coaching online. You know, I used to manage facilities. And one of the hardest things for people to even do in a gym is just walk through the door. They're so worried about judgment or people looking at them. And the funny thing is that everyone there is going to support their goal because they want them to be healthier. They want them to live that lifestyle. They want them to lose the weight or put on the muscle or feel good or whatever it is. The powerlifting meet is the exact same way. People are usually generally nervous because they're afraid of failing in front of people. It doesn't matter if you miss a lift in front of people. No one's going to judge you for it. They're going to miss a lift too at some point in their career. No one goes nine for nine every single meet. I've never gone nine for nine. I've never had a single perfect day. I had an eight for eight day, and that's because I crapped myself on my second deadlift and scratched my third True story. Um, you've got to be okay with failing in front of people because they're there to do the same thing. They're there to test their limits and see how strong they are and how capable they are. And they're going to cheer for you if you're cheering for them and they're going to support them. You're going to make a new friend. So don't look at it as an environment of, oh my God, what if I miss a lift in front of people? Look at an environment as I'm going to miss a lift in front of a room full of people who possibly can tell me what I need to work on to get better at that lift. It's an opportunity, not a problem. That opportunity is there for you to see what you need to work on, improve what you need to work on, build a social network, find new training partners, get, um, get more connected to the community. You know, it is a very, very fun aspect, even though it's a very challenging aspect to be in the meet. And I think the anxiety really comes from people just being afraid to test themselves in front of other people by fear of judgment. Because if you miss a lift, the spotters are going to catch you. You're no more likely to get hurt in the meet than you would in the gym. 
you're probably more likely to get hurt in a gym actually than you want to meet more injuries happen in gym than meets just because simply you have higher levels of fatigue in the gym than you do in the meet when you've tapered down and you've gotten rid of all the fatigue and fatigue is the main cause of injury so you're at significantly less risk of hurting yourself in the meet if you've tapered properly you're going to have a good time it's going to be a fun environment you're going to make new friends you should be less and less nervous and more and more excited by the opportunity to grow within the sport yeah, I generally don't like to avoid feelings, or I don't think it's good to avoid feelings. So if you're feeling nervous on meet day, don't avoid it. Um, you can kind of lean into that. And like, there is such thing as nervous energy and nervous energy can be a good thing. But um, usually I feel like, and this is what I told my clients too, like if you're nervous about it, that means you care. Um, if sometimes if you're nervous about it, that means that you kind of know that you're capable of whatever goal it is that you're trying to achieve on that day. So I feel like if you're nervous, you should just lean into it. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know that I would say that I'm nervous in the same way. Like I'm not, I don't get necessarily nervous. I'm going to fail in front of people. Cause I've done that plenty of times. Like I've only gone nine for nine once, but, uh, I've failed in front of people in the gym. I failed in front of people in, um, meets. I've been stapled before. I've not stood up with a squat before. Like it's, it's fine. That's exactly like what, that's what you, you train for. And if you're pushing yourself hard enough, like it's going to happen at some point. Um, I don't necessarily get nervous in that aspect. I more so, it's like an internal nervousness. I don't care about anyone else there. I don't care about the crowd. I don't care about the other competitors. Um, I'm competitive with myself. Mostly I don't want to let myself down or I don't want to like, I get nervous that I'm going to uh, fuck up. Like there's, <laughs> we were just talking about my squat. Uh, I don't know what day it was, but when it's light, I do everything perfectly. And then as soon as it gets to a certain weight, I just change everything. So I'm always nervous. And I'm just going to like change things that are unnecessary. Um, but realistically, like ner being nervous is fine. It means you care. But you've also spent um, eight to 10 weeks prepping for this very day. You have spent the other six months before that practicing every single day. Like the, the cool thing about our sport is that we literally practice how we play versus some other sports. You don't necessarily get to practice in the same way that you play. Um, so you quite literally just squat bench and deadlift all the time. So you know what to do. Um, you don't have to be nervous about like them suddenly changing the rules on you the day of like you're going to squat bench and deadlift. So you just have to remind yourself that when you are nervous on that day, like, Hey, I prepared eight to 10 weeks or however long your prep is for this very moment. So this is what I can do. And it's only nine lifts. You just have to stand up and sit down and whatever, nine times you could lay down three times, you stand up three times and you stand up three more times. It's fine. That's it. That's all you got. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. I want to do that. <laughs> nine lifts. Over like five to eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> You're not me this run. <laughs> oh hi. Oh hello. What a star. Don't yeah. Nervousness is normal. A little anxiety is normal. I like to remind people that the hardest lift in competition is the opening squat. It's the first time you're stepping on the platform. It's the first time you're seeing your room. It's the first time you are seeing the judges. So when I would take new lifters to meet when I trained a lot of local people in Florida and it was their first meet, the first thing I would have them do the morning of the meet is walk up and take the empty bar out of the squat rack on the platform and have them squat a rep right there. I'm like, I want you to find your focal point in the room. I want you to get comfortable with the room, see how it's laying out. I want you to build comfort. So when you come back up for your first attempt, you've already been here. So that's something you can always do if you're still nervous in a meet is 
Go up to the platform, ask them if you can take a rep up there, just so you can get comfortable with the environment, find your focal point. Most meet directors and refs are going to say, yes, absolutely, go ahead. You just can't warm up up there. But, you know, they're not going to have any problem with you doing that. But if you find that you've built comfort with the platform and taking that warm-up rep out there first before you're up there for your first event or your first uh, attempt, you won't feel very nervous because you've already been there. It's only nervous because you've never been there before. So if you take the time to go there first, you'll build that comfort before you get there. 100% agree. Okay, next question. If meat is in the morning, should one prep, should one meat prep the morning to adapt for best performance? I, I think he's asking if you train in the morning, if you're, since your meat is in the morning. If meat is in the morning, should one prep meat the morning to adapt for <laughs> yeah, I think he's asking if you should train in the morning to get used to the morning. The meat is all day. You know, the meats typically start anywhere from 9 or 10, usually 9, and they'll go anywhere from 3, 4, 5. Uh, I've, I've actually done a meet where they oversold it by 40 lifters, and I started lifting at 9 a.m., and I pulled my third attempt deadlift at 1 a.m. Uh, it was that kind of meat. My third attempt deadlift was at 1 a.m., even though I started my day at 9 a.m., and I was fried. But most meets will usually be done by 5 p.m. So somewhere between 9 and 5, they're usually done. That's including awards, the whole night. The meet director is, has standards and, and follows through with the system the whole nine. It's gotten a lot better now than it used to be back then. But um, you can't really train that aspect that way all the time. Because that's like saying that I can only squat with this bar. I can only squat in this rack. I can only pull on this platform. I can only use these plates. That's not under your control on meat day. You have to let go and accept the fact that the meat environment is not under your control. Does it help for you to take a lift in the morning of to kind of get used to that? Sure. If you have the opportunity once or twice a week to take a lift in the morning to do that in the meat time so you know how you respond to it, that would be smart. Preparing ahead of time, know how you respond, know what you want to have for breakfast, how you're going to feel, you know, building that comfort. The same way of going on the platform before the meat builds that comfort. You can absolutely do that. Is it necessary to train in the morning if the meat's in the morning? No, it's not necessarily necessary. You have to be ready regardless. That's why I laugh, laugh when people have like their whoop and it's like, oh, my readiness isn't there. Guess what? It's meat day. It doesn't matter what your readiness is. You've got to fucking squat. So you just take that, accept that, that, you know, you're training for the meet. You're going to be in the meet. Regardless of what time you were squatting, benching, and deadlifting, you're going to do it on a meet day anyways. Suck it up. You don't have to be that time of day all the time. Football players will have practice at 9 a.m. Their game could be at 4 p.m. It doesn't, check how they, it doesn't affect how they play. That's how they practice. That's the time they have practice. The play is at 4, whatever. Or sometimes they travel time zones. They can be practicing at 9 a.m. in Florida. They have a game in California, and there are games at 4 p.m. That's 7 p.m. Florida time. You show up and you play. That's your job. That's what you're preparing for. So is it beneficial? Maybe. Is it necessary? Not at all. Yeah, I feel like that's, I feel like this is majoring in the minors a little bit. Um, I used to only train solely at 7, 8, 9 p.m. And I would have to wake up and squat and squat at 9 a.m., you know, like for a meet. So I don't know. I don't, I feel like, I feel like this is just trying to find to stress yourself out about for not really any particular reason if you can only train at 5 p.m then like that's fine you're going to be re rested and recovered enough going into meet day that like it doesn't really matter that you have to squat at 9 a.m you'll probably squat at 9 you'll probably bench at noon and then you'll probably deadlift at three you know so like i don't know i mean i guess if you want to like switch your training to make it like that then sure but like trevor said there's no guarantee that those are the exact times that you're going to train at so I would just focus on trying to improve your lifts and rather than what time you're lifting at. So, okay. Um, is there a way to train wraps weekly? <laughs> I was a little sarcastic on this response. I remember that I go, yeah, it's called ego lifting. Um, unless it's medically necessary. 
I wouldn't suggest doing that. And I say medically necessary. I have had a client before, Derek, who has no cartilage in either one of his knees and can only take significant weight with wraps because he needed the artificial support because he has no meniscus. There's no connective tissue. Years of wrestling grounds on his knees, and they had him scoped out both. There's nothing there. Um, we got by with a little bit of volume here and there and thick, thick, heavy, like gangster sleeves and stuff like that or on belt squats. But on the actual barbell squat, he needed to have light wraps at least to support the knee. Is it beneficial? Absolutely not. There's two reasons why it's not beneficial. It's one, you're weakening your bottom position of the squat. I don't care if you compete in wraps. If you're weakening the bottom position of your squat, you're going to continue to get weaker there all the time. And the other thing is wraps allow for more load on your back. You're going to fatigue yourself out that much faster by having significantly more load on your back all the time. If you look at the old West Side philosophy, they would have their max effort work like with the suit up with two straps with full gear. Their deload was as heavy as they can do raw because the difference could have been four or 500 pounds. Greg Penora talked about this. Like he would have like a max squat day one time where there'd be um, like 600 pounds of band tension and like 650 pounds of straight weight. And it would be like 1150 or whatever the hell it was at the top in, in like his gear. And then his next squat day would be uh, a max front squat raw was literally half the weight. So that was considered a deload because he used half the weight and so forth. So you have to account for that. If you're training in wraps all the time, you're consistently overloading your body, your back with more than it can, than it can handle on its own. You're going to fatigue and burn out and break down that much faster. So I wouldn't recommend training in wraps all the time. You know, if you want to vary them to every other, every other week, if you're following some type of contact program, fine, you can do that. But you do need to make sure that you're building your raw squat without it because the stronger you get outside of wraps, the stronger you will be inside of wraps. Um, Great example of this, like Danny Masinsic, we don't throw his wraps on until he's like 10 weeks out from a meet. I've had a lot of lifters do that. He, he went on to break the all-time squat record at 953 at, at uh, 242 with only nine wrap sessions. He didn't live in them all year round. And he didn't even low bar year round. We high barred mostly and stuff like that. It just shows you that if you're building the strengths that you need to build and then you put the places together, you will be overall stronger over time doing that. And you will break down less from it. And so like want to be in wraps like four months out and I'm just... It's just not conducive to any, really, and like Trevor mentioned, you're weakening your bottom position and you're overloading what you can do naturally. Or if you're wearing wraps, it should be overloading what you can do naturally. Because I've also seen some people that squat the same in wraps as they do in sleeves. And at that point, it's like, what are you doing? Um, but that's a whole entirely different story. But it's overloading what you can what you can do naturally, I guess, is the word I want to use. Um, but like, I don't think people realize how fatiguing it is because they're just so stoked on like how heavy they can go with wraps on that they're like, oh man, my PR is a hundred pounds more than what it was or what, whatever. But they're not actually like taking into account that fatigue level. And they may say like, oh, you know, like I, well, I don't feel super fatigued. You don't have to feel fatigued to be fatigued. Um, I think that training in wraps all the time is dumb. Um, unless like, you know, Trevor mentioned like Derek, he has to do that because it's what he needs to do, but you don't need to train in wraps in the middle of your, uh, quote unquote off season to feel them. You will feel them when you're in meat prep and you have them on. Like if it, I mean, I'm going to be doing my first wrap meet and I'm starting wrapping at eight weeks out. So I have about seven sessions, I think in wraps and like, I don't know if I can't figure it out in seven sessions then I have some <laughs> bigger issues, I guess. So if you need wraps four to five months out and like 20 sessions in them to like figure them out, then I don't know that you should be wearing wraps, I guess. Uh, but it's an ego thing. And I, I don't know. It's a uh, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I took a seminar with Dr. Squat, Fred Hatfield, many years ago. I mean, we're talking maybe six, seven years ago, uh, Fred Hatfield.
down with, with Josh Bryant. He did a seminar. And Fred Hatfield, of course, invented basically the, the uh, SSB. It was known as the Hatfield Bar. That was his invention because he knew that low bar squats beat the shit out of his shoulders and he couldn't bench. You couldn't even, he didn't want to live in pain. So he invented the SSB bar and would usually do a Hatfield squat where he would just hold onto the rack or hold on the straps in front as he did his squat. And he would do that literally until six weeks out from the meet. And somebody in the seminar asked him that. He goes, you would SSB squat or Hatfield squat until six weeks out from a meet? He goes, you didn't feel the need to put your you know, straight bar squats in any sooner than that? And he looked at the guy, he goes, you're an athlete, aren't you? He goes, you really think it takes more than six sessions to get used to a straight bar if you've just been squatting the patterns exactly the same? All you're doing is changing your hand position. He goes, aren't you an athlete? And he was like, damn. <laughs> he just straight called it out because there's so many people like, I'm an athlete, I'm a power. He's like, if it takes you more than five or six sessions to get used to squatting with a straight bar again, you probably have no business doing this <laughs> at that level. Now, mind you, he went on to set the all-time world record squat of 1,048 um, at the time in single play in over 40 he was over 40 when he did it and just that was his mindset was just i'm squatting i'm building my legs and building my body the only thing that's changing is my hand position where i'm holding the bar but i'm squatting the pattern doesn't change nothing changes except for my hand position and it's only going to take me six sessions to get used to that straight bar again so people talk about it all the time like and i've, I've had lifters do that where they did back-to-back -back meets they did a sleeves meet then a wraps meet and we only put the wraps on five weeks out and they pure the wrap squat it doesn't take very long to get used to the wraps it takes two or three sessions at max to get used to the wraps and groove the wraps if you're familiar with them. And then you can jump right into your meat and be that. But the longer you spend in them, the more you're gonna break yourself down. There were two questions that came through in the live. If you're already warmed up, for example, for deadlifts for a meat, but whatever reason it's taking too long for the flight to start, what should somebody do to not cool down body weight squat? No, if you're warmed up for the deadlift, just do a deadlift. I've had that happen where there's accidents or things in the platform, they had to do something or clean something up like someone threw up. Just go take your last warm up again in the deadlift. It won't kill you to take that extra rep at your last warm up. What I wouldn't take is your opener. I've seen people do that. Like they're gonna like, I'm gonna go take my opener and then they fatigue themselves out because that's too heavy enough. They, they can't pull four reps above that 90% before fatiguing out. So go pull your last warm up again or something close to it just to stay warm and loose. I wouldn't body weight squat because you just primed your body to deadlift. Why would you give it a different pattern? Literally just go over and take a light deadlift to keep the pattern and keep yourself fresh and sharp. It's just something you can move fast. Your last warm-up should move fast. If you're grinding reps in the warm-up room, it's too heavy for a warm-up and you're probably opening too heavy as well. So just go take a light deadlift. If it's the same thing happens, like if it's a squat and the bar drops, you gotta do something, go take a light squat or whatever you gotta do. But take the same lift you're gonna do at a light load just so you keep the pattern and the sharpness and the nerves, uh, the nervous system primed. But don't do anything different. Also, don't do a whole bunch of reps, literally just singles. <laughs> All right, let's see, we got this one from Gabby. When it is meet day and you're competing in wraps, how many people out do you start wrapping yourself? Like two people out before it's your turn. Let me know if my question makes sense. Yes. How soon should you start wrapping? So there's a, a little bit more to this than just timing how many people. You have to know if the people in front of you are in sleeves or in wraps as well. You can look at the board, it'll tell you if they're in classic raw or regular raw. And if they're in classic raw, two people out is about perfect. It also depends on how fast or slow your wrapper wraps your knees. Some people wrap very, very slow and deliberate. Some people wrap very, very fast. So you want to know how fast your wrapper is. Time how long it takes you to wrap in training. That will give you an idea of how much time you need, and you can time the platform. Now, I said to check before to make sure they're, they're not sleeves or classic because sleeve squatters walk right up, set themselves up, squat, move the bar. Wrap squatters take a lot longer to set up. So if you have two wrap squatters in front of you, that's about the perfect amount of time to wrap. But if the three people in front of you are sleeves, you probably want to wrap and start wrapping at three people out because that's going to be only about two minutes for them to do the three sleeve squats on the platform, provided the, the platform crew is changing the weight at the appropriate speed. Yeah, we've seen many uh, 
we see many mishaps where people have had to unwrap and rewrap because it took too long because they didn't time it well and they weren't or they weren't paying attention or people were wrapping too late and they timed out because they weren't paying attention so really it's just all about paying attention um, yeah. trust your wrapper like trevor mentioned if, if you know how long it takes for you to wrap both your knees and like that probably helps you and you also have a minute to get to the platform too so if you're finishing up wrapping your second knee and they call your name like you're fine you have a minute to get to the platform so yeah man that's a lot i feel like i would get super anxious if you're getting your knees wrapped gabby it's not on you it's on your wrapper the person who's wrapping your knees to know how to time themselves they need to know how long they take and they need to look at the order that's 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 part of their job as your knee wrapper is to know the flight order to know that is to check on that so say for example if chad's wrapping you he needs to know who's in front of you and what, what division they're competing in and how long it takes to wrap. For example, I just wrapped Caitlin at Jordan's last meet and she had the three lifters in front of her were sleeves, sleeves, and then wraps before her. And what I did is I considered that one and a half. So what I did is when the first guy who was in sleeves was unracking the bar, I would start wrapping. So they had two people in sleeves and then one wraps. I was literally finishing up, tying her last wrap, and then you would hear platform ready. All she had to do, was she, she was right there. All she had to do was cinch her belt, chalk her hands, get to the bar. She wasn't in them very long. It was timed literally to that point where I was finishing wrapping her knees and they were saying platform ready. Two out of three times, that was the case. Yeah. It's just learning the timing and just getting used to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what type of cardio would help me to be a better lifter? <laughs> I wrote consistent cardio. <laughs> Understand what you're doing the cardiovascular work for. And it's probably just general work capacity or general fitness. It doesn't necessarily need to be specific. Like doing a rower is not going to make you a power, power lifter. Doing the elliptical is not going to make you a better power lifter. Being aerobically efficient to where you can recover from workout to workout or improve your work capacity to do more actual volume is going to help you be a better power lifter. So the type of cardio that's going to help you is consistent cardio. It doesn't have to be high intensity intervals. It doesn't have to be a certain apparatus. It just has to be consistent, consistent enough that you build your work capacity and general physical preparedness. I literally just walk. Jordan Wong literally just walks. Riley just walks. She walks the dog now, but it's just enough that you are building some level of work capacity and recovery into your training aspect. You don't have to be a CrossFitter or a marathon runner. And you have to think that the more you push into one direction, the more you're pulling away from the other. So if you're really focused on having insanely good cardio, you might be sacrificing your strengthings to some degree, not long-term, up front because there is an interference effect eventually. There's a point of diminishing returns. You will over time adapt to that and you'll be able to increase your caloric structure and increase your caloric energy, but that takes time. So if you're adding in cardio, start really slow and progressively increase over time so it's not a disruption or a shock to your body. Uh, personally, I just like walking because I find it relaxing and recovery. I don't walk at like a super slow pace. I walk at a medium pace and that just helps with my recovery and my cardiovascular fitness. But you can, you can vary it however you want, but one machine or one type of cardio or one intensity zone isn't going to make you a better powerlifter as much as consistency is. I just had this conversation with my client, Linda, because uh, she was asking whatever cardio, and she was like, okay, well, what should I do, um, like, on these days and my rest days, and was kind of, like, making it really complicated, and, you know, she's not in meat prep, and I was like, honestly, you can do whatever cardio that you want, because um, she had mentioned that she liked jump roping, and then she was like, should I just incline walk, or should I run, or whatever, and, I mean, like, uh, I told her, I was like, if, if you want to do, like, something different every single day, like, you can't, you know, if you want to jump rope one day and you want to incline treadmill, walk the next and you want to paddleboard the next, like 
that's fine. As long as you're like moving each day. Um, like Trevor mentioned, I just walk and that seems to help. And when I increase my walking and my weight goes down, I don't have to do anything crazy. I don't have to do high intensity circuits to get the weight down if that's what the focus is. Um, so that's why I told Linda, I was like, you know, as we're not in meat prep right now. So like, if you know that you like to do 15, 20 minutes of a specific uh, activity day, then like, go for it. Jump rope one day, incline walk the next, regular walk the next, do whatever you want. I mean, when it comes time to meet prep, I may ask her to like, maybe cool it on like something specific if she's doing things that could potentially impact her. Like if she's doing like a high intensity thing or is like, I don't know, like I like to longboard, but I'm not going to longboard a meat prep because if I fall over and like break my leg, then there goes my meat prep, you know? So I may ask her to like limit those things when it gets like meat prep time. But as long as she consistently does her cardio each day and then she'll be she'll be happy. Like Jordan said, she'll be happy doing whatever it is that she wants to do. And she'll be consistent because she wants to do it. I mean, that's, that's really the key is just being physically active and look at the cardio as increasing work capacity, not as caloric expenditure. Like Riley just said, like if you're using cardio to drop weight, chances are you're doing too much or too often of it. And it's going to impact your recovery because you're adding significant stress and volume to your body. If you're doing the cardio in an aspect of improving your work capacity, it's going to benefit you more. Yeah. Okay top five favorite action movies <laughs> i don't even remember the five i said but i went total cheese um i don't want to be like a list of arnold schwarzenegger movies i think a alex nita like messaged me about that he like rounded off like four arnold movies like dude you have a crush <laughs> but I, I know i mentioned the running man because that's when like arnold is his most sarcastic and i just like the ensemble cast it's so great of like jesse the body ventura in there it's so good uh it's super witty um, Van Damme, we, we put Bloodsport in there because it's just so quotable because it's so stupid. Uh, big fan of Van Damme movies. They're so fun. Um, I don't even remember what my other three or four were in there because even though I answered this just yesterday, but I, I did like a bonus points for Guy Ritchie movies because they're just so cool and so slick. And I don't understand half the verbiage the entire first time I watched the movie until I watched it a second time, but they're just so fun. Like if you haven't seen The Gentleman, you really should. It's just really cool. Um, uh, I don't even know if I put The Last Dragon in there. I introduced that one to Riley at one point. The Last Dragon's great. It's like, <laughs> show enough. The Shogun of Harlem. And it is a, it's a black exploitation martial arts movie that was produced by Barry Gordy in the 80s. And it is so bad, it's amazing. But things like that, um, uh, what am I missing that I put in there that was so good? Demolition Man. Uh, I had to have a, a Stallone movie in there, Demolition Man and Wesley Snipes, because that was just such a cool movie and quotable. And after Wesley Snipes dyed his hair blonde, so did everybody else on the planet um, at that time anyways. And if you don't know, Sandra Bullock's actually in the movie. Nobody knew who she was yet. Um, you really licked his ass. <laughs> Sorry, that's a quote from the movie. <laughs> if you don't get it, you need to watch the movie and you will get it. Things like that are really good. Um, I, looking back, like spending more time on it, there's, there's so many movies I could have put in my top five. I just was thinking off the cuff of what's there, so I don't even remember them. Uh, but there's like so many movies that are just really cool as action movies. The first Matrix. The first Matrix was mind-blowing when it, when it came out and the action it has and the visuals and things of that nature, but stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely had a blood sports definitely in there for me. <laughs> so good. I feel like it like is a tie between like blood sport, kickboxer, uh, which it's I just... Movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like blood spores in there. Uh, Matrix is definitely in there for me. Um, John Wick, I also really like. That's more modern, but it's also Keanu. I just really like Keanu Reeves. Um, I 
I know that Tombstone is a Western, but would you consider it action too? Enough gunfire in there. It's an action movie. It's a Western action. We're, we're gonna, it's a West action. <laughs> so, Tombstone is in there. Uh, I love that movie. And then uh, the other one that popped in my head was Lawless, which is like a Tom Hardy movie, which I love Tom Hardy. Um, and that one's, it's like, it's dramatic, but there's lots of guns and violence and whatnot in there. So I definitely like that one too. Um, like a prohibition 1920s, like moonshine and like people. That one's really good. I feel like the, I think that's five. One, two. That, that reminds me, I did put the Dark Knight in there because Tom Wallace is in there as Bane. Uh, he's just so cool and unfazed by anything. We've talked about this, like his demeanor, like nothing can shake him. He doesn't care what's going wrong. He's getting punched in the face and just doesn't matter to him. He's completely emotionless. And uh, that kind of action movie is just really, really cool. It's the same for the most part with like kickboxer, like Tung Po is the same way until he's getting his ass kicked kind of thing. It's just like, uh, it's not an action movie, but Hannibal Lecter has the same personality. And that trait in characters really appeals to me for some reason when they're just completely uh, stoic and they're just sinister and evil. I just, it appeals to me. Yeah, I, uh, I feel like, I mean, I feel like in general, I can't, you can't really, for me, you can't really go wrong with like, 70s or 80s uh, action or martial arts movie because I personally love cheesy movies. Like, I like the worse that they are, the more that I will probably like them. Um, I am not shy about watching something that I know is like really bad. Like, I'll just, I just, I like, I like B movies. I like cheesy movies. Uh, if it's campy and it's supposed to be, then like I'm gonna love it. So that's a that's a genre for me that can't really do wrong. Much like horror, like horror, and then like 80s action or martial arts movies like really can't go wrong for me uh i don't it's not game of death there's a bruce lee movie i think i put enter the dragon in there because it's just it's an astronomical martial arts movie but there's a bruce lee movie where he fights chuck norris in the coliseum in rome it is uh, i wish i could remember what movie that was but it's like 70s chuck norris so he's not hollywood yet he's like super duper hairy chuck norris with like the 70s mullet and they're fighting each other and he like punches him in the chest and grabs all his chest hair and like rips it out this is like the best worst fight scene ever. <laughs> it's so good because it's so bad, and I just love the cheese. It makes me happy. My uh, my grandpa, growing up, when I spent time with him, he's very much like a big Steven Seagal and Van Damme fan, and that man loves Chuck Norris. I have seen every episode of Walker Texas Ranger that exists. Um, he like any any sort of movie from that time period. If I have seen it and hadn't watched it from like Trevor's recommendation. I watched it because my grandpa, like he just loved that stuff. Um, he, uh, Westerns were a big thing for him too. So Westerns and then like action movies from that time period. But yeah, that man loved Chuck Norris. Him and him and Jean-Claude Van Damme were just like my, my grandpa's idols. <laughs> Fucking Chuck Norris. <laughs> Walker, Texas Ranger. That was so good. <laughs> I've seen that in a, he made me watch like every episode of that. And then I also watched like every episode of Xena and Hercules. Nice. Nice. Uh, Kevin Sorbo. God, whatever happened to him? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, Lucy Law just picked up. She was in Spartacus for a while. That was a really good show. She was in there. That was really cool. But I don't ever know what the hell happened to Kevin Sorbo, but those are great. Um, the guy who produced and directed all those, Sam Raimi, does like all the cool horror movies now. And I think he just did the latest Spider-Man movie, or the, not Spider-Man, um, Doctor Strange. Yeah. So he took off from the cheesy, can't be television shows to the big time movies. That's really cool to see. Yeah. 
The Way of the Dragon. Thank you, Donnie. See, I needed somebody else who's, who's old enough to remember that. That's a good one. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we got today. We ended on a high note with the top five action movies. I don't know how to put anything in my top five. I enjoy watching things over and over and over again, no matter how bad they are. They're just entertaining to me. Thank you guys. You've all stuck by and hung out. Thank you for your time, as always, Riley. Uh, thank you for supporting Culture Nutra at culturenutra.com for your supplement needs. And if you need training without coaching, we have the Cultivating Strength program on Train Heroic. Your first week is free. If you want to try it, just check it out. There's a link in Riley's bio. There's a link in my bio and the link to things for the Cultivating Strength program. You guys can check that out. The podcast gets released every Monday on every podcast platform. Thank you guys who all share it to your stories and show it around and quote it and do things. It's really cool of you. We appreciate it. And for also sending us questions or contributing questions on the podcast. Anything you want to add to that, Riley? Um, if anyone talks to me for the next two weeks and I seem off or my responses don't make sense, don't blame me. Blame me, Brett. <laughs> she actually had something to add. <laughs> meat brain can't be all that bad. Then. All right. Well, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week. Bye.